The second reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, commencing at verse 12 and going through to verse 20 at the end of the chapter. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I like Friday nights. It's not because the end of the week, my end of the week is actually Monday night, because um, I've Tuesday off. But Friday night I like because I like watching Friday night football. And I've always liked rugby league. Uh, the only trouble is I find it a bit exhausting because I'm mentally playing the game. You know, go tackle this, do this, do this. Come on, oh, you did that. You know, by the end of it, I've had it. I often go to sleep because I get so exhausted. Uh, I watched the game on Friday night between East and South. I didn't have any particular favourites. That was all right. Um, but it was an interesting game, and it was quite obvious the commentators were saying, uh, East won, and it's quite obvious as from the commentators said, that South lost the game right at the beginning because they had a poor attitude. Uh, they came on the field, even their uh, halfback was saying their attitude was poor. And uh, they just weren't in the game from the beginning. Uh, they mentally weren't there. And they were talking about Wayne Bennett, the coach of South, the great master coach who's won so many championships. What's he going to work on? They've got the fitness, they've got the skills, they've got the game plan. He's got to work on their mind. You know, if you go into a game a bit lethargic, a bit how you're going, or if you go in and think, I'm going to lose, that'll happen. If you go in a bit lethargic, the opposition will get all over you. It's quite obviously that's what's happened to them. Well, Paul's telling us today, he's telling Timothy, but telling us to fight the good fight. Uh, he's not saying go out and have a punch up with someone, uh, but he's saying you've got to fight the fight of faith because your faith is going to be constantly challenged by false teaching, by the world we live in, by people trying to, or things trying to take you away from following Jesus, follow other things, they're more important, the, the, the immediate thing right now is more important than waiting for heaven and Jesus. And there's a whole stack of stuff that wants to distract us. And it will be a fight because if you're passive and just easy going, you lost the game already. If you go in thinking, ah, oh, I can't win this, you've lost it too. We've got to have that right mental attitude. No, I'm a winner. And I'm a winner because what Paul's going to say to Timothy. And we've already won this. We've just got to get on board with that idea. Let's have a look and see what he says. 
He says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul's life is continual life of thanksgiving to God. He fully understands that he's been saved, but also given a, a ministry role. And he's just so thankful for it. Uh, he recognises that he's got a particular thing to do in life. It's been given to him by God and he just cannot praise God enough. He keeps saying that over and over in his letters. Three things he particularly mentions here is who's given me strength. He's talking about the inner strength that Christ has given him. Christ, knowing Christ, Christ being in his life, being the focus of his life and providing real inner strength mentally. To go forward. Second thing he says, consider me faithful. This inner strength is going to help him to fill his role. His role, which is then pointed out in number three, appointing me to his service, an apostle role. Apostle to the Gentiles. There's Israel and then there's the rest of the world and Paul's been appointed to the rest of the world. It's a huge job. But he's not going to do it in his own strength, his own power. He's going to do it in that inner strength Christ has given him and he's going to go forward being faithful and accomplish that because he keeps that mindset that he's been commissioned to do this. Look at the contrast then in verse 13. He's in a privileged position, but he remembers. Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. We've seen that in the Acts reading, that he was a horrible man. He was a man who was trying to get the followers of Jesus to reject Jesus, to say that Jesus didn't die uh, for their sins, that Jesus didn't rise again for the dead, that Jesus wasn't the Son of God. He's trying to get them to reject all the good news about Jesus. And he persecuted the church like no other. He was intense. He says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, his aim was to destroy the church. He wanted to remove Jesus Christ from history, no longer mentioned him, no longer any followers, just remove it. That was his aim. And that was all coming because he was a violent man with a deep-seated hostility. And now that was focused on Christ and all who follow him. Not a nice person, is he? Wouldn't like him to come to our church today. So humanly speaking, there's no, no hope for someone as malicious as this, as aggressive as he was. But he's an example that no one is beyond God's mercy. And he'll talk about mercy here and in verse 16. Mercy is important to him. God's unmerited favour. God not treating him as he deserves to be treated, but God giving him goodness instead, which he'll now explain. Verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The grace, the unmerited favour of God. It says poured out. The word here in Greek means like an overflowing river. Just an abundance of it. And it's not just uh, bursting banks and causing damage, but it's giving us all that we need. So all the grace, the unmerited favour of God that we need is there for us. And along with faith and love. And that's important because this grace is overflowing into our lives, this unmerited favour of God, resulting in faith and love. Resulting in faith that you can see who Jesus is, you can see what he's done. Jesus Christ, God made man, died on the cross for our sins, rose again and, and opens up eternal life to us, calls us to follow him. You see God's great love in Jesus. And you want it. You want Jesus, you want him, you want what he's got to offer 
And that's a response of faith. A response of faith that's going to call upon Jesus to save you and trust and obey him the rest of your life. And love, the love that's coming here. He knows God's love. His heart, which was so hostile and angry and bitter, has now been overflowing with God's love, flooded with it. And all that previous hatred that polluted his heart has been taken away. And now he knows God and he loves God. And he now is a man who, who wants to go out and tell people about how great God is and love people instead of hating them. What a transformation. And then it comes to one of five sayings that he's going to make uh, as he goes through um, his letter of uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus. They call the pastoral epistles. But he's going to say five trustworthy sayings, five, five key sayings to Paul, which should also be key sayings to us. Look at verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying. That's something that we can depend on, we can rely on. It's worth remembering, recalling, keeping in our minds. That deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. A foundational statement, something that needs to be acknowledged continually, continually in our minds, continually as to we live our life. Because the law condemns us and reveals our failure to obey God, reveals our rebellion. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is something that saves us. How liberating is that? And this is the mental attitude which changes how we approach and deal with life. This is the all-important mental attitude. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, I'm the worst. Was he? It's pretty bad, but there probably are worse ones, but it's pretty bad. But have you ever thought you're the worst sinner? You know, sometimes I, I just, sometimes I, not the sin's bad, um, but it's, the sin is, sin is sin. It doesn't matter whether it's a little sin or big sin. We sometimes think, oh, yeah, sins, little sins are okay, big ones, they're bad. No, nah, sin, sin to God. It can be a little thing, something you think and don't act on, or it can be something you horribly do and hurt someone. They're all sin. To God, they're the same. And sometimes I've thought of, you know, the worst of sinners, I mean, there might be little things and no one knows about them, but then I know about them and I feel convicted of them and I think, oh, God, why have I let you down again? Why can't I live that perfect life? I, I hate sin, I loathe sin. And that's good. Because it means that God is working in us. And it's something that's a personal conviction that's coming to us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. His pre-existence talked about here. Salvation is now a present reality. And it requires a personal and individual acceptance. And it can only come, Christ can only save you if you know you need to save from something. You know, there's nothing worse as you see on Bondi Rescue and shows like that. I used to be a lifesaver once many years ago. Another life, something like that. And uh, at West Wollong, uh, North Wollongong Beach. And you go out to save someone. If someone thought they weren't in trouble, they didn't want to be saved. But you could see they're in a rip and getting taken out and they don't realise it. And if you leave them in the rip, they're going to keep going and going and going. You sit there and, sit there and watch them. Do you want to be saved now? No, no. What about you know, a few minutes later? For the, look where you are. You sure you don't want to be saved? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hand goes up. You know? <laughs> Get saved. Um, sometimes people don't need to be saved. If you don't want to be saved, I mean, someone will push you off if they want to be saved. In the surf. And we're always told, you know, be careful of that. You need to know you need to be saved. 
And that's the work of the Holy Spirit that comes in and convicts us. And that's why Paul's saying he's the worst of the worst, because the Holy Spirit is convicting him inside. The Holy Spirit that comes upon all of us and shows our great need of Jesus. Shows our failure to obey the law. Shows our inner rebellion that just keeps coming out. We can't live that perfect life. We want to live. We know we should live. That's that rebelliousness in us. And the Holy Spirit convicts us. It's a conscience that's been awakened by the Holy Spirit, disturbed by the Spirit continually as we sin. That's important because Jesus told in Luke chapter 19, just chapter 18, verse 9, he told an account of two people that went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader, a godly, seen as a godly man of the day. He comes into the temple and he's you know, nicely dressed up. He stands up there and he just stands in the temple and says, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, and he starts naming people. So he's comparing himself to other people. Gee, I'm so good, I'm better than that person, I'm better than that person, I'm better than those guys in the road, I'm, I'm good, God. That's what he's saying. Then there's a tax collector. Tax collectors are looked down upon, they're hated, they collect money for the Romans, they seem as corrupt. There's a tax collector who comes to the temple and he, he just beats his breast. He's on the ground, he's kneeling down, he's beating his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's so convicted by the spirit of his sin, of his failure to obey God. He knows he desperately needs to be saved from his sin. And he's the one that goes away forgiven. It's the work of the Holy Spirit convicting. That's why Paul can say, I'm the worst of sinners. Because the Holy Spirit continues to convict him. The Holy Spirit's convicting him, but also guiding him in his life. And so when you're convicted, you don't compare yourself to others. You're all alone. You're before your God has created you and you can see how good and holy and right he is and you can see how far short you fall of his standard. And that's a conviction of spirit. So there's a trustworthy saying that's coming out in this first part about the gospel. It's something that we can rely on, something for everyone, and that Jesus and his work saves us. But it's got to be received individually. We've got to call upon Jesus to save us. And it comes by a conviction of sin. Paul goes on to talk about this in verse 16. But for this very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe and receive eternal life. His unlimited patience. You know, you ever thought, how many times will God forgive me? You know, like, if it was three strikes, we're out. If it, you know, if it's only a limited amount, a hundred times, a thousand times, ten thousand times, you know, where am I on the score sheet? It's unlimited. God's unlimited patience is such an important thing to Paul and such an important thing to all of us. You see, the conversion of Saul, who now became Paul on the Damascus Road, we read about that in Acts has proved this. Christ had mercy on Paul, the worst of sinners. He will have mercy on us. He's patient with us. He knows that we're human. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're struggling. All he wants us to do is keep looking to him and saying, help me, Jesus, save me, Jesus, and bang, it's right. 
That's the good thing about being a follower of Jesus. We don't have to go out there and win the world for Jesus. We just need to keep looking to Jesus and relying on him. He's our strength. He's our power. He's the game changer. He's the winner. We just tag along, follow behind him. Great work. It's like playing sport. You know, I um, look at Dave there. I know Dave plays basketball. But I used to be in a team with basketball players as police and we had a road join us. Uh, he was uh, a, young, a young guy, not much to him, and uh, wasn't a great jumper because he wasn't real tall, but he played for Australia in basketball, and he could put the ball in anywhere on the court for this side halfway. We had to tone him down because he was so good. But, you know, you give him the ball, and, and sometimes he wouldn't score. He just actually set us up so we could score because he was too good. If he was scoring all the time, we'd get kicked out or he'd get kicked out of the game. But having a player like that, you just, you just improved your game so much. You just felt so much better having a, a key player like that you could draw upon or, or, or feed you the ball at the right time. Or it's coaching us. So I remember the coaching. I was expecting for someone who played from Australia, you learn all these secret moves and stuff. He's, he just kept drilling us about the basic. I said, well, where are we going to learn all the fancy stuff? No, no, no. You've got to have the basic. If you've got the basic, the other stuff comes. But if you haven't got the basic, you can't. Like you see on Friday Night Football, they get the pass but the pass is coming and before it comes, they look where they're going and they drop the ball. Basic mistake. Lose the ball. Can lose the game. So some of the basics. And that's the good thing that we need to remember. We need to keep strong on the basics. Yes, following Jesus, seeing Jesus die on the cross, seeing as our saviour, knowing our sin, they're all basic, but we never ever move away from them. There's no higher thing to go to. While we've got those in place, then things happen. We've got the right mental attitude. Unlimited patience. It goes on to talk about why that's going to be important in verse 18. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies made about you so that you may follow them and you may fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Now, Timothy's not going to go out and have a fist fight. But Timothy's got to fight the fight of faith. We've already talked about that, that constant false teaching, that constant battle. And it's because of the prophecies made about him. Uh, In 2 Timothy we read in chapter 1 verse 17, it says that, uh, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity but of power, love and self-discipline. So when we prayed over Timothy, the spirit came upon him with power, love and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit inside Timothy, inside me and you, is a spirit of power, love and self-discipline. Power. Power to keep our minds strong, to get focused on Jesus, not to be anxious and worried and fearful, but that that peace of God that passes all understanding. Love. Knowing the generous love of God towards us, that just, wow, God can love me so much. He sent his son. Jesus can love me so much. He died on the cross. What else do I need? And then we can love other people with that same sort of love. And self-discipline, we need to keep focused. We need not to be distracted by this and that, all the things that are going on in life. We need to keep focused on Jesus and loving God and loving other people. And it'll all go right. Fight the good fight. The dangerous teaching will not get us because we stay focused on Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 19, Holding on to faith and a good conscience. The importance of holding on to faith. Don't let go of your faith. Remain focused on Jesus. Continue to rely on Jesus. Continue to refresh your mind with how important it is to have Jesus. 
Jesus should be our treasure, our, our dreams, our hope. We're just excited about Jesus. We need to keep remembering who he is and what he's done. Let the Spirit convict us of our sin and how desperately we need Jesus. And that only increases the whole importance of Jesus in us. And we want to hold on to that faith. And a good conscience. You know, faith is going to give us the, 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 the direction in life. We want to live to please Jesus, to honour him. We don't want to go to heaven. We want to you know, triumph over whatever goes around us and just keep focused on Jesus. And good conscience is going to make sure along the way that we don't get taken off course and shipwreck our faith. Uh, make sure that, and it's, and it's going to happen. Look, it happens to me every day. I'm sure it's happening to you. You get up in the morning, oh, I've got so much to do today, da, 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 and I can stay, straight away take my mind off Jesus and start worrying about this, worrying about that. Or I've got things to do tomorrow, next time they can, they can just start filling a mind, and Jesus is nowhere there. And prayer's gone out the window, and life is just getting all messy. And they think, hang on a minute, where's Jesus? Nowhere. And I reset my mind and I pray. And I start thanking God for what he's done in Jesus. And suddenly those things that all seem so powerful and important and getting rising anxiety and rising control in my life just gone or in the background. Deal with them later. Deal with them as they come. Don't, don't run away from things and not deal with stuff. But yeah, they're there, but I'll, I'll get done. And I'll pray about it and God will help me. And so that idea of conscience is going to continue to convict us. Hang on, you're, you're thinking about the wrong thing. You haven't got Jesus. Get back on course. And that conscience is something that's good. It's something that's inside of us that we need to keep educating. Educating by what does God want us to do? What does God want us to think? What's the right response? Keep learning from the Bible. And particularly asking the question with conscience, where is Jesus in what I'm thinking? Where is Jesus in my response to this? Where is Jesus? And if you're like me, problems come when Jesus is not in the centre, when Jesus has been pushed out to the side. He then talks about two guys, Hymenius and Alexander. They were part of the false teaching group. They were watering down the teaching of Jesus. They, they weren't, they, these false teachers are not saying, so don't turn away. They're not like Paul saying, turn away and reject Jesus. They're just watering down and changing some of the, the doctrines and some of the teaching to make it a bit you know, wishy-washy. And they're having an effect on the congregation because the congregation, Jesus is moving away from their focus and they're focusing on other things that these guys talk about. And it says he's handed them over to Satan not to blaspheme. That seems pretty bad, but in those days and today, the, the church is actually seen as a, a sanctuary from Satan's power. It's seen a place where we come and we remind ourselves who God is and we encourage each other in song and, and prayer and hearing the Bible and we, we strengthen ourselves to go out into the world. And by cutting them off from that sort of fellowship and that sort of um, meeting place, they're saying to them, what you're doing is really wrong, really bad. You need to change it's a wake-up call to these guys. Hang on, wake up. Something's not right. You need to look at it. It's a way of not so much punishment but remedial action that they might change and recognise what's going on. That's what the aim is there. Did you smell the roses this morning? I didn't. I don't have any. 
I grew up in a home where my father had all these roses and you go out to the garden and you, you go to our house when the roses are blooming and you couldn't help but smell roses, even outside. You do, as soon as you drive out of the car, what's that? And I'm talking not the roses you buy in the shop, I'm talking the old-fashioned roses that had such a perfume that they were just you know, fantastic, such a strong perfume. That's the ones that actually make perfume about in France and stuff. I've seen the fields. Um, but you could smell the rose. If you, I mean, rose, the flower, there's better flowers. To me, there's better looking flowers. They're colourful, they're nice, but it's the perfume that gets me about a rose. And the perfume is striking. You, If it's put in front of your nose, you cannot not smell it. You cannot not say, whoa, that, that's interesting, that's nice, that's strong. And it's a saying about have you smelt the roses. I mean, have you actually seen there's good things in life? Or are you going through life sort of thinking life is bad, life is busy, life is hard, all these things going on? Have you got that mental attitude that's all messed up? Or do you need to refocus your mind and see there's some good things in life happening right now? I remember talking to a lady whose husband was having a lot of trouble with uh, mental illness, getting very depressed and suicidal, and he'd get up in the morning and he'd sit get in the morning and he'd go, and he started to go off about all these things going wrong and he set himself in a mindset for the rest of the day that's going to be horrible. And she said, go outside. What? Get outside. Get outside and look up. Come back and tell me what you see. He go, what are you doing to go outside? And he'd look up. He'd be out there for quite a while and she'd come back. What did you see? Oh, there's a nice blue sky out there. And suddenly by looking at the blue sky, his perspective moved from all these little problems that were dominating to seeing there's a bigger world out there. And there's some beautiful things in the world. And we need to be like that as Christians. We're always going to have the things going wrong. Always. This side of heaven... And you know, as your body gets older, they're only going to get worse. Sorry, that's the bad news. But the good news is there's always the good stuff going on. And particularly in Jesus, there's, a, there's more than you could ever comprehend. The experience of God's grace, mercy and patience are behind Paul's evangelistic enthusiasm. He's got it in his mind. He sees how much Christ has done for him, the worst of sinners, and keeps doing in him. So he, he lives with a passion and a power to share the gospel, to live out his Christian life. And we can have the same. But keep looking to Jesus. Keep realising how much forgiveness, how much mercy, how much love we have in Jesus and just being excited, transformed, refocused, mentally energised by that. It's a game changer. It'll change the way we live in this world. It'll give us a mental strength and energy just to keep going forward as Christians. Not just keep going forward, but be winners. And you know what? Winners are grinners.